Hello and welcome back to the Masonic Roundtable, a weekly program where Masons from around the world get together to talk about Masonic news and opinions in a friendly and social manner. Hopefully tonight, more especially. Let's see. Uh, as a reminder, the thoughts and the opinions expressed here are solely the opinions of the participants and do not represent any Grand Lodge statements or positions. Make sure you keep your conversations open for the public and on the level. As always, love interacting with you live uh, if you can make it. So if you can, join us Thursday nights on Facebook and YouTube. Love to see you over there. Let's see. You know me. My name is John Ruark. I'm a past master of the Patriot Lodge number 1957 in Fairfax, Virginia. And next up, we have, for his introduction, Joe Martinez. Hello, Joe. Hello. Hello. Hello, Internet world. This is uh, Joe Martinez. Wait from a name. I never time it right. It always comes way later. But yeah, Joe Martinez, Pisces. Uh, love talking about politics. So, well, who am I? Uh, master of Manassas Lodge number 182. Uh, member of a whole bunch of other things. Um, and yeah, let's, uh, let's, let's get political within the craft. Let's, let's do, do it. it. Let's do it. All right. When I think politics, I also think of our next guest, Jason Richards. Hello and good evening. Joe's <laughs> name always comes later. Like guys. Oh, oh. Things. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I, I've got my hair. <laughs> uh, hey everybody uh jason richards uh past master of a lodge in virginia members of law uh, academic lodge in dc and my family lodge up in zanesville ohio a lodge in virginia a lodge. a lodge i like that and next of the holy saints show <laughs> yes last mm. but not least robert johnson hello and good evening Hey guys, Robert Johnson, past master Waukegan 78 in Waukegan, Illinois, and a current sitting secretary at Space Novum Lodge 1183, the premier education lodge in the great jurisdiction of Illinois. Woo! I got a woo in before Joe. Nice. I will outwoo you, my friend. You probably will. I'm going to so. need sense to back up that claim. <laughs> yes. Let's see. Uh, before we get into tonight's topic, I want to give a special shout out to the patrons. You guys are awesome. Thank you for supporting the show for many years. So if you want to join in on some of the great discussion we've had about uh, the Grand Lodge of Louisiana this week, head on over to patreon.com slash the Masonic Roundtable and uh, chip in a few bucks. Keep the show going for many years to come and join our little fun insider group where you can see behind the scenes and um, then and watch uh, real time live streaming of the next time Jason cuts his hair. Also, <laughs> it, it bears mentioning that we should probably say in many elements of our lives, we give up a little bit of uh, things to uh, support things that we love that also trigger us. And this will be no different. <laughs> yes. <laughs> right. Because if oh, you're not. Bring to that, my friends. If you're not outside your comfort zone, you're not growing. Is that it? Is that how it goes? So, something, okay. something. A rabbi told a story about a lobster. Yeah. <laughs> Discomfort builds character. Well said. All right. Speaking of discomfort, let's get to some good topics tonight. Uh, recently, we've had a discussion on politics and religion in the craft, and yet... That conversation was focused on why do we or should we you know, ban the the talking, discussing about politics and religion within the confines of the fraternity. Um, but yet now we're going to take a different spin on this and we're going to talk about politics within the craft. So not just why does it, it happen anyway? <laughs> we're going to talk about and who are the biggest offenders? Right. So we're, we're not, not talking about names. we're not talking we're about running names. for political office. Yeah. We're talking about running for Masonic offices, of which there are many, in which they are a necessary evil to the administration of our fine fraternity. And yet, as with any human being, once uh, a vying for an office becomes a goal, then the next thing you know, politics start to happen. And so, 
Uh, tonight, we're going to talk about a variety of different bodies, appendant bodies, things we've seen, things that have been discussed to figure out what's this all about? Why are we trying to, um, how do we make sense of a fraternity that is supposed to be equal on the level? Jason, what, what, did, what do they say about Masons and being on the level? I was going to go with ecumenical, but... But there's so many um, of them, something along those Masons lines? Masons were all on the level. That's why we have so many of them. That's right. But you can't be on the level if you're sitting in the East. So just saying, there you have to be somewhat at a different station in life. Ew. Somewhat, yes. Yeah. Right, right Joe? No, I disagree. I've never seen, never in my almost 17 years as a Freemason, I've never seen politics creep into our gentle craft ever. Spit take there. In my life. (laughs) No. Okay. And that's the show. Good night, everybody. Good night. (laughs) Nothing to discuss. We know that's true. Uh, You know, so look, uh, let's, let's take all of the tenets of our fraternity off of it for a second and realize that to pay the bills, to run to run your Blue Lodge, to run your Grand Lodge, to run your appendant body, there needs to be people in a position to handle the to have the authority to handle the the budget, the schedule, the, the administration of the craft. And so with that comes responsibilities, and with that comes a certain type of people who like to lead, who like to get into those positions. Uh, mostly for, for noble intentions, but yet um, there can be a time where it doesn't end up that way. So what, just to kind of set the stage, what do you think sets, sets up masonry for this, this grab of politicking sometimes, right? Like where, where does this come from where we start to have this, this push and pull of personalities for office? Well, you asked two different questions. So let me let me attack the first one and 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 be a little serious for a second. I know that's a rare thing, but um, I, I think that we just have to realize that there's there's really two components to to our gentle craft, right? We have the the actual purpose, you know, which is to make masons. Um, to take candidates through an initiatic experience and an experiential journey and all that stuff. But then we have the other bits of it, as John was talking about, where we have to pay the bills and keep the lights on and make sure we file for our taxes and that kind of thing. Um, I don't think there's anything inherently Masonic about any of that crap. You know what I mean? It's not, that's just running a business, quote unquote, you know. Um, But to, to answer your first question, um, the politicking for me is really interesting because I would, I would say that a lot of the people that go through the line are not prepared or fit to run an organization that has money and has to pay bills and things like in that. In general, so, you would say that. Yeah. Right. So yeah, that's why I have to break it up into two different mm-hmm. things, right? We have the, let's initiate people. And in particular. And then, yes. In general yeah, and, and in particular. <laughs> so, you know, when we, when we, you know, and I know it's, it's Good weird for me to say sitting in the East, but. Um, you basically have two different roles in, in a Masonic lodge. You have the, the, doing the candidate work, you know, doing the, the real stuff, but then you also have that administrivia, um, which not everybody's suited for, I'm sorry to say. And I, I think we've seen many examples of it just going to pot because you people that you have people that are not good administrators that are not good organizers that don't know what a budget is, can't pay bills, um, and, and don't know how to lead and direct people. And I'm sorry, nothing in masonry prepared for any of that. And that that last point is so critical, Joe. The there are people who vie for those positions of authority because in a lot of lodges, it's just what you do. You spend your time, you serve your time. Uh, you have people who vie for that authority who just don't have the skill set to lead others. Um, and some of that can be learned and, and some of it can't. Uh, I mean, I, I would always argue, you know, I, I, I've been in, and everything I'm going to talk about now is sans the experience of, of being master of a lodge. Cause I've only been doing that crap for four months. So, but you know, uh, being in the military and, you know, working in the private sector for a very long time, 
I would always say that those skills can be cultivated um, across a different range of people, right? Everybody has strengths and weaknesses and we all, especially in a leadership role, you utilize your strengths and you rely on the people around you to augment your weaknesses, right? Or to, you know, maybe not augment them so much. I probably came out wrong, but to, you know, to fill in where you have those gaps right. um, in your roles. And to your point, Jason, you don't see that when people get in the East, right? If guy gets in the East and he's like, hey, you're out on your own, bro. And we're just going to yell and holler and whine and complain and moan. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, but back to my point, nothing in and the, that's just the past masters. Hey, man, shut up. Um, <laughs> um but I mean, it, it's the truth though. Nothing in, in the degrees, nor should it teaches you how to lead others and, you know, move towards a particular goal or mission. It just doesn't, but yet we keep electing these people. Yeah, I mean, we could we could talk for hours about just leadership in general, and you know, even um, Kentucky Brad says uh, just because you can manage doesn't mean you can lead, right? So ding ding. So for those people I mean, in Kentucky that position, Brad speaking from experience, there, yes, you know? yes, yes, personal experience. You know, the uh, again, just because you are in the office, you're elected, you've you've got the trust of your brethren, you're now in that office doesn't make you a good leader by default right and so that's what joe was saying it, it really comes to having some introspection about your abilities you know to, to maintain the administration as well as the ritual as well as you know any other stuff that gets thrown at you yep so so robert what do you think about um do you think that leadership is born or or is it something that you can train or both Oof. I think you can learn it. Uh, I, I think you can learn. You can definitely learn it. And I think um, the line, like if you get in line, there certainly is and has been an ability for an officer to go through the line from junior officer to the senior officer, whatever, however many years, right? Like I, I say this because that was me. That was my experience. I was taught how to converse, how to talk to people. How, like the lodge really did. Like I, I listened and I learned from some great guys and some not so great guys. Uh, by looking and watching and listening, you know, seeing what works, seeing what didn't. But it takes a lot of introspection to do this work if you're going to take that on. So, of course, I think it's possible to learn leadership. And by the time I, I reached the Worshipful Master Chair, I was in my second year as a district education officer. So, my leadership skills had been seen at that point also. And after that, I went into a DDGM role. And so, I was really good at that also. But that all comes from servant leadership, um, which, you know, you can – you can kind of tie into that was the, the word of the day right there. Bam. Well, of the day. Yeah. so, and we're all going to agree on this point. It's this idea that uh, regardless of your political promises or your ideologies or whatever you have, um, the idea comes back that you're supposed to serve, not be served. And uh, I think a lot of times guys, go through and they have a, a chip on their shoulder. They feel that um, because they've served in the line, they deserve a spot at the top. Entitlement. Um, and that, it, yeah, this is a great point, right? The, the, the uh, we'll call it politi entitlement politics or politic entitlement, yeah, something like that. There, there's just this unfortunate thing. And as, as you said, John, we can talk about leadership all night. It's probably a different show, right? When we talk about progressive lines. And I think we've probably talked about that and nauseam in the past, but like those things kind of stink. But when we're talking about po politics in a lodge, um, how often are we actually seeing politics? Because we're so scared of bringing outside world, quote unquote, politics into a lodge that we're afraid to kind of politic in the lodge and and maybe say hey i'm not going to enjoy i'm not going to endorse joe martinez for a for for you know master of the lodge i don't like his attitude he swears too much 
I'm going to endorse Jason. I'm going to endorse Jason because, you know, he's much more even keeled and I like his education program and whatever else. Like, yeah. But people have to know that there are aspirations for things, right? right? And nobody wants to even I, ever put that out there. I so, did have some really good education in 2017. Yeah, you did. So there you you did. You you had one of the most organized educational years of anybody I ever knew. And and so that's that's the idea I think which is interesting in politics. This is maybe a flip side of what you wanted to ask, right? We don't want to people are always like, "Oh, politics and logic." No. I say politics. Joe like disagrees. Politics? Kind of guess, maybe well, a little bit. Well, let's let's open up the some. can of worms, right? Yeah. So yeah, I know, like in in many jurisdictions, not all, but some, like basically, it, it's it's if it's either explicitly shunned, it's it's certainly culturally shunned to not vie for an office, right? You want the office to call to you, you want right? You want your brethren to nominate you rather than you start asking around with you know vote for me. I like Ike buttons and all that right so uh but should there be right because you, we you know we could obviously and we will talk about the the downside of uh politicking and masonry uh, but, but let, let's let's stay positive for a second right uh i think you hit the nail on the head there rj there there could be a case for the explicit you know i think that Joe is, is doing a great job as master this year. I want to make sure that he stays in for next for the next year or for the next 10 years because he's doing such a good job, <laughs> assuming Joe Joe uh, complies. No, no but he will not comply. Fine. Just, just, just ruin my example. Just please do. Fine. That would be great. So, but you know, you know where I'm going with this, right? That, that there should be a very, it should not be a secret. I mean, the ballot should be secret, but it shouldn't be a secret about what you how you wish to serve your lodge and what the brethren expect from their leaders that that should not be a secret Jeff. so first off i will not be serving for 10 years so thank you for that um, Had that on the record but second on the record baby yeah, right after um, uh, jason finishes uh volunteering at the george washington national masonic memorial tour guide baby i was I gonna make that joke i got an email <laughs> Nineteen dollars an hour, baby. Woo. That's all you, man. Woo! Nineteen dollars an hour, really? Yeah, really. And you get a thirty-minute lunch break. Anyway, uh. anyway, um, so let's let's unpack that for a second, there, John, because I think the reality is, and I, I guess I'm being the Debbie Downer of the group today when it comes to this. Is does outside of what Robert said? does our progressive line in most places truly set us up for that? Right. And exactly. So the answer is, is absolutely no, it doesn't. Right. It's, you have this system where the expectation is, unless you're a complete turd, you will move on to the next seat and the next seat and the next seat. And then you meet your Masonic qualifications, regardless of what jurisdiction you're in and you move up to the next seat and the next seat and the next seat. So it's, now you have some lodges that don't do that, right? They've thrown out the concept of progressive lines. They're like, we're going to put the best person for the job in the seat, and we're not doing this moving up the chairs thing. Um, some obser- observant lodges have that that practice, right? So, um, so there's two schools of thought on that. I mean, you have Robert's point, which is a very valid point of, hey, I was lucky enough to have people that taught me stuff, and I learned things along the way. But to be fair, how often does that really happen? So I, I feel myself drawn back to the Grand Master's address that circulated this past week. Um, what jurisdiction was that from? Colorado, the one we posted. Yes, we posted. yes, Colorado. Yeah. And one, if you haven't watched it, go watch it um, because it certainly serves my confirmation bias. Yeah, yeah, Joe, Joe, slam that in the in the chat. I got it. It's in the chat. Nice. So, so two, um, something that the Grand Master of Colorado said that really resonated was, look, um, in Masonry, doing this whole one year in leadership thing, yeah, it doesn't hold parity with like tech industries and businesses where you have 
CEOs and, and strategic leaders, you know, leading their respective organizations for five, 10, sometimes 15 years at a time. And the thing that resonated with me about that was, you know, that's, that's one of the reasons why it's so hard to get anything done and anything sustainable done. Um, as a leader of a Masonic organization, because you come in, you spend the first couple months trying to get up to speed, and then you, you know, try to do your best and manage all of your respective. And then by the time, like you look at your watch, it's December, at least in Virginia, and it's right. time to roll back over to the new person. Um, so I really do think there is something about having some continuity in in the lodge leadership. You usually get that with the secretary and the treasurer, but why not, you know, the senior warden or someone like that? Look at look at Massachusetts. Their grandmaster is elected for three years. Right. Or he's elected mm -hmm. for three one year terms, whatever you want right. to Pennsylvania so too. Here you want to slap on it. Yeah. Yeah. So they're there for Illinois, we have two year terms for our grandmaster, but typically it's because he is elected each year and he gets two years. And I think that's like really the bare minimum to be able to effectively do anything. And to be quite honest, these other jurisdictions that change year to year, uh, it's no wonder they are floundering um, all over the place in, in so many different areas, right? I mean, it's just like a, they're bleeding out. Yeah, that's fair. So here's, here's where it would make sense. If the grand line are truly figureheads and they are kind of <coughs> the public face of the fraternity visiting the lodges, you know, performing, you know, charitable functions, things like that, um, then it makes sense to keep swapping people out year after year, provided that you have a committee or a body within the Grand Lodge, like a jurisprudence committee, that is actually empowered to run the organization. Or maybe a strategic plan. <laughs> <clears throat> Get me a little choked up there. Well, I mean, e even then, you can have all the strategic plans you want if the committee isn't empowered okay. to execute that mm -hmm. plan yep. uh, after the new guy comes in. Um, then it doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. So how do you how do you relate all this back to like we're we're really circling around this leadership topic, but I think there's this there's this idea in the background that maybe we have an opportunity to connect to which is like the politics again we, how many times like in the profane world do we hear our leaders propose like strategic plans and things and how yeah. often do they follow through right execution's hard i'm just curious like do we have the ability to do that in masonry do we see the same pitfalls in the profane politic world as we do uh in the masonic world and before anybody answers that, I think there's probably listeners out there who think there's no such things as lodge politics. <laughs> and to those brothers, like, wake up. You're wrong. Right. You so, wrong, you know, a, a fun phrase that I, I heard a lot a number of years ago is no plan survives first contact with the adversary. <laughs> Like there has to be something said for pivoting. I think the mm -hmm. the problem we have is when we lay out a strategic plan, and you know it encounters resistance, and we just drop it all together. They just give up. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah. Well, I, I I think to to go back to Robert's question, I let let's step outside the politics part of it, and let's let's talk about ourselves as an organization, right? Can we put a long term plan together? get buy-in from people that are going to span those chairs for m more than two years, right? Three, four, five years and execute it. I mean, looking at it in the business world, um, you can, you know, if those same people are in those same positions for a long extended period of time, the problem is that they're not. And it's exactly as you guys were talking about. It's, 
everything gets reshuffled and recycled because very few lodges have a long-term plan. So, so let me challenge that then. Okay. So in general, when peace and harmony, you know, try to remain that people serve their time, move on and, and step out of the way for the next person, you know, cause certainly one year is long enough. If you are carrying the burden for, for your lodge, for example, however, that's not to say you can't get stuff done given the constraints of the, di- the benevolent dictatorship that we set up in most jurisdictions, right? So there are ways to push things through, to push agendas through when you have the right authorities. So this gets to the fun part of tonight's conversation. There are many, many recent examples, the least of which, you know, being the, um, you know, all, all of the stuff that was going on with the special conclave uh, le- leading up to this, the, the conclave of the Knights Templar organization, where, you know, a, 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 an individual with a, with a posse of, of supporters was able to ram some very controversial things through by edict, by, you know, cabal, and they were able to get a lot of stuff done, whether you agree with it or not. So it's not to say we've we've spent the first you know twenty minutes of this episode talking about you know how do you how do you be a good leader how do you balance this how do you do strategic planning but no 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 there are times where if you're dedicated to whatever cause you're trying to uh, execute you can absolutely do it and so what are some examples that you've seen that um, in, in recent history where Certainly that happened, that, that things got through, things that the, the true politicking of forcing, you know, not, yeah, forcing is a bad word. You know what I mean? It's not a bad word, though. It, you know, I mean, it is at the end of the day. When, when you get to do things by, when you get to do things, depending on which jurisdiction you're in, which body we're talking about, let's mm-hmm. just make it a general statement. Mm-hmm. If you can push things through by edict. By edict. Then That's a good things, example. Those things live. For as long as people want to tolerate them, you know what I mean. So, so yeah. So for for the non Masons, right? We we have our own laws, rules, and regulations. Uh, it's also good to be king, where the the leader of most organizations can issue edicts that remain law until they are out of office, uh, and so those edicts um, serve as actual law. They do not need to be approved by committee. They do not need to be voted on. They are fiat. They are. I'm going to say this is true and it's going to be true forever. And that certainly. And if they're bad enough, they call a special conclave and kick you out, which is rare and amazing that that happened in the first place, by the way, because you need a large majority to overrule that kind of stuff. I mean, it's the whole checks and balances, but unlike, you know, the U S political system, we do have, uh, in most appendant bodies and, and, jurisdictions the ability to have rule by edict but it's so rarely executed right i mean this was i remember reading hodap's article it was like i don't remember the last time anybody called this special anything so this is awesome you know and you know and then he gave us all the details about it but for overruling um, an edict but edicts happen all the time right right yeah Yeah. so this is the real politicking the the neck the downside the negative side of politicking I think one, one, one thing that is interesting, right? Like here's an interesting example of here in Illinois. Uh, we have a code that is, uh, is known as, and I guess it's probably not really well known. And there is a cost for doing these kinds of edicts because think about maybe in most grand lodges, Grandmaster gets a year. Cool. In Grand Lodge jurisdictions, they get more than one year. There's a danger, especially if they're up for election each year that they serve. So here in Illinois, we have to elect them twice. I don't know about Massachusetts. Do, the, do we have, if we have to elect them three times, but here's what I'm getting at. Do something unpopular that first year. Watch yourself not get reelected <laughs> right. the second year. So we have something called 3B, which basically says, Grandmaster at any time can use, I mean, it's like the A-bomb code. Really? I had these pins made 
that just had the square and compass, little button pins. And I wanted to hand them out at Grand Lodge that said 3B or die. And basically, the reason was I felt our per capita needed to get raised. We were, we're, we were at 10 bucks. $10, right? And so this was nothing in, in order to survive. I remember. My thinking is, look, the Grandmaster has a supreme opportunity and a reason and a reasonable expectation to preserve the craft. And you can make an argument that per capita can help that. So I was like, yeah, 3B per capita, increase it, and you don't have to vote with the constituency. Now, of course, he didn't use that. Nobody's ever going to use that. Not in their right mind if they want to get reelected. Because Maybe in your an, second year. It's an year, unpopular though, right? way of pushing things. Do it your lame duck year. Exactly right. Yeah. yeah. But no, that's a that's an interesting point. I, I think that's a, again, it's a rarity because a lot of the jurisdictions are single year. They're lame duck years, right? Um, for a lot of our grand officers. So, you know, for the one and doneers, they can issue a whole bunch of edicts that will just live. And the, I think the consensus a lot of the time is, well, he'll be gone. At the end of the year, or he'll right. be, you know, he'll let's be replaced, just, or maybe he'll get overturned, right? But uh, I, I mean, I could think of another example. Uh, let's let's talk about South Carolina. What happened to them last year? Um, you know, we had some some edicts and some suspensions and some, uh, yeah, suspensions. I don't think there were expulsions, but right. you know, everything that was going on there, mm -hmm. um, which uh, Brother Hodap also reported on quite well. Um, but they they did something rather awesome. Uh, politics wise, which uh, I'd never heard of um, in all of my jurisdictions. And, you know, I, I join a lot of things and um, which is all of the grandmasters edicts in South Carolina folks. If you're on the chat, um, chime in and correct me if, if wrong, but um, at their grand communication, they have to actually vote on all of the grandmasters decisions for the year and the the body of the grand lodge can actually overturn things and i think that's what happened with Ooh. um most worshipful mike smith um you know who passed away uh, a few months later but um yeah they overturned his suspension and uh reinstated him and then uh they did more things but they overturned a lot of the grandmaster's decisions which again is uh and that happened at, at their annual communication which i have not seen before and i don't think a lot of our jurisdictions have that uh, I mean, Robert, chime in if you think different. A lot of our jurisdictions have that ability to, at the end of the year, take stock of what a grandmaster has done and say, we don't like this. We're going to overturn it. I've never heard that before. Yeah, that, that was something that was pretty surprising. And to be honest with you is um, a form of accountability to your constituents. I mean, I think that's great. Uh, if you want to be a benevolent dictatorship, but the people should still have an ability to two-thirds overrule you. Right. Yeah, uh, the checks and, and balances. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And this is where, you know, rules, you know, so leading up to this episode, I was just fired up I'm like, oh, man, I just I can't wait to talk about cronyism, BS and and, and all Let's this. Go. stuff. Let's do it. Well, but, you know, it bears mentioning, too, that like there are these great parts of the political system that we have adopted that work. And of course, politics necessarily has loopholes and things as well that make it so that sometimes things can't work. So, so that's, that's a really good, good point because whether or not, you know, your jurisdiction or your, your grand body has the right loopholes in place, uh, you know, there are plenty of lawyers, Masonic lawyers, right? That they can, they can dig through the code. They can find the, the wording, the verbiage, the, you know, the, the clauses, the exemptions to really get around a lot of different things. Um, it just takes some time and patience and someone who's really familiar with their code. But again, if you're a Mason in any, you know, jurisdiction, you, you, you have access to your Masonic law that you're supposed to be, you know, adhering to, um, within that jurisdiction. So there's no reason you couldn't just dust that off and, and try to find ways uh, to mitigate risky issues and or now I'm going to play devil's advocate and say, you know, if you really wanted to be malicious in, in you know, the, the kindest way possible, yeah, you could certainly, you know, e execute just about anything um, in, a, in a very political way if you really know your code. You agree? 
I, I don't agree because I'm of the mindset that if I don't like things, I just yell really loud and then they go away. And it works for me. It works for you. It does. It really does. I can just yell and I stamp my feet and then those things go away. But I, I could see a case for, say, a more introverted person that could play the game. Right? I'm you introverted. Know, let's just you know look at you know the slimy politicians on, on the outside uh, of the fraternity, right? That you know they they say one thing when they're running for you know for office, and then once they get in, they do the opposite, right? Um, there's nothing preventing any Mason who's who's uh, advancing through the officer chairs to do exactly the same thing, right? Toe, toe the, the cultural line, toe the brother, brotherhood line. And then yeah. once they're in, they have that, that authority to make whatever changes they want. Let me, let me paint this little scenario. Right. On the outside, our politicians spend, I don't even, what is it? It's almost like three-fourths of the year preparing for the election season right. and the last quarter with the election. Like the, the amount of time they actually spend uh their jobs crazy yeah yeah <laughs> so so yeah. now think about this in the fraternity we have we do have politics within the fraternity but we can't politic so like how you doing that how you doing that you know how you're doing that you're donating to charities big money donations equals big money titles i've heard this i've heard uh, this there's this that's one way yeah you could buy your 33rd degree if you, if you i've heard that to too I've heard this. I don't know. I don't. I can't speak to it, but I have heard. Right. And, and Mark, just, Mark, uh, March thirty first, twenty twenty two, the day John realized who will be a black cat for eternity. <laughs> right. I'm right there with you. Yes. Um, and that's okay. And just the only like, way to win is not to play the game. Not to play. Well, and, and you know, you also. Made me think of another another thing too. Uh, if you can't buy your way in, how do real political meetings happen? They don't happen in the meeting, right? They happen the bar, outside buddy. the meeting, at the bar, after at the social in the hall, bathroom, in the bathroom. You know, whatever it takes to on the golf course, in right? the cigar lounge, in the cigar yeah. lounge. That's when you cool. really get your your uh, your job done, your your actions executed. I mean, go back for a second, though, and going back to the politics and the dirty politics, which 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 happens everywhere, right? Um, you know, you said you can't buy can't buy your way into things. I mean, that's kind of not true. If we're looking at like profane politics, I mean, what do you hear on election night? The first big thing you hear is, you know, number one, how many votes people are getting, but number two, how much they've spent on the election. And more often times than not, the person who spends more money is the one who wins. Um, I mean, that's just the reality. Bloomberg. So, he couldn't do it. Uh, yeah. Nobody likes Bloomberg. And I'm from New York. So. <laughs> Tax sodas. Tax the sodies. <laughs> but cronyism. That's a word. Ooh, cronyism, meaning yeah. that you, oh. uh, you give your friends and or relatives personal favors. Uh, or your so. groups of guys that you sit next to. Those two, mm -hmm. yeah, that's around. So that yeah. So do you, do you think anyone's ever nominated someone purely because they're a friend and not because almost of... almost exclusively, <laughs> no, John? Almost exclusively. Job. No, they're all the best. Men so for the job. so how about I know no one has ever experienced this. How about that election night when you suddenly see twenty members of your lodge come in who haven't been to lodge in 10 years where do they come from you're like hey what are you doing here yeah not speaking from experience at all there no or the ones that show up on balloting night that you've never met before that you actually have to have them pull out their dues card because you have no idea who the hell they are and Lo and behold, they're a member of your lodge. Those are fun. Or the night you're that having that discussion to raise the dues. Yes, dues will always get get out the vote. I That's say true. you should just have a vote vote on dues every every month. That way, every, you get every the, month. the largest you, amount of people. That's Pump true. Those numbers up. Pump those I numbers want, up. 
There you go. That's the secret to growing the growing. Uh, Man, how do worshipful get so many people engaged? Mm-hmm. So or like you, you say, you all work at a table it for next month, and then you just keep doing that for the rest of the. No, year. hell no! You just raise the dues twelve months in a row, and then Buy you like end a up with a pot of money. <laughs> like we raise it, we're raising the dues one dollar every single month. <laughs> yeah, twelve whole dollars a year, two cups of coffee uh, from the bucks. But yeah, so cronyism, you know, th this idea that you're going to uh, take the East, right? And you're going to appoint people. Um, and so that doesn't happen so much, I think, in the the main, you know, down-home lodges because it's, quote unquote, just a lodge. But the second you have, let's say, um, at the year I served the Grand Lodge and, and the brothers as a DDGM, I picked a team. I was told by my assistant deputy grandmaster or my area deputy grandmaster that you don't have to do it all. Get a team, get a team of guys to go out with you. Have a guy, an expert on this, an expert on it. So what did I do? Of course, I used, I was, I used cronyism. I'll be honest, right? I got my buddy Dave Greenberg to be my district auditor because he was like a financial whiz. I had. Uh, you know, several guys, communication guys, and my education guys. And what is Dave doing today? Dave Greenberg is my DDGM of the first Northeastern district. He took over. So cronyism kind of happens. But in that instance, like I utilized it, but I also thought he was the best person for the job. And I just happened to know him. Yeah. Well, so, and I'm inspired by like Abraham Lincoln, right? Who brought in members of, for his cabinet that were his opposition when he was running, right? He wanted a different opinion, right? He did not want yes men. He wanted people of com sometimes completely opposite opinion to be part of the, you know, the leadership team. So that way we can make balanced and, and well-informed decisions. I mean, that's, that's the way you really should get stuff done. Uh, and that way it, it does create harmony for the lodge. If it's not, you know, that's a way to balance out the, the, the uh, cronyism that, that could happen is to actually try to actively seek out if you're a good leader, if you're a servant leader, right? Uh, so seek out what's best for the lodge and not for your agenda. But here we are. Well, you, you kind of hit the nail on the head there when, it, and you've mentioned the whole peace and harmony bit a couple of times. And, and all I keep thinking back to, you know, going back to the conversation about leadership is harmony in a lodge is not every single person you know, wearing the same color tie and, you know, exactly agreeing with one another. It's mm -hmm. being able to have those tough discussions and come to a consensus that you can all move forward together. You know, that's, that that's harmony. You know, harmony is not, oh yeah, we're just not going to do nothing. Um, which is what a lot of lodges think harmony is, is right. in I, order I'm to keep gonna, people happy, yeah, let's I'm, do nothing. Right. Right. Exactly. Well, and harmony doesn't mean every single person in the entire lodge is all in agreement. On the way forward yeah what's what's the old the there's a saying that says like you know uh death by committee uh the idea that uh, if a hundred people get together and decide on what color something's going to be it's going to be beige like you need somebody who's going to pick red like that red hat of yours that's right wait like that there it is boom boom uh, i don't know which way to go with these cameras they're weird um yeah, Masonic Revival, they got some great stuff. Woo! I When you talked about opposition, like the first thing that came to my mind in terms of uh, with like Abe Lincoln was Thaddeus Stevens. Uh, dude, two huge GOP leaders, similar ideas, and uh, very strained relationship, different ways of getting there. But like, I just think if I were in a position of absolute power, I would totally want somebody to be like, I'll be, I'll be the Thaddeus Stevens to somebody's yeah. Abe Lincoln or a, vice you need versa. A, an angel and a devil on your shoulder. The only, That's right. It's the only way to grow. That's the only way to grow as a person is by not living in an echo chamber, you know? So, okay. So if you want to be evil, then what do you do? You, you, you surround yourself, you build that team, 
right? Because we talk about this to be a good leader and, and to, you know, get ready for your lodge as worshipful master. You need that team to support you in your decision making, hopefully then to carry some of those ideas into the next next couple of years. You know, what if you what if you do staff it all up with with like minded? Yes. Yes, people. I mean, you could certainly uh, change the culture of the lodge um, pretty quickly, to be honest. I mean, it only takes a couple of years of leadership in, an, in a different direction than, than your lodge culture is used to for it to really decimate or grow the lodge. And, and you know, I'm going to call it like, Joe, I am fascinated with what you and your team have been able to do with your lodge in the past four or five years. I've, I have watched from afar uh, the things that um, you've done, and I'll, I'll call, I'll say it for what it is. I know there are some things that you've been putting in place in the previous years to help you make, you know, your your sitting in the east a lot easier. I've noticed it. You've been very smooth about it, <laughs> but it's paying off dividends. And uh, you know, you 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 see me, you know, bring not only me but my family to to more of your your lodge events. And, um, it, it's, it's been a long game, but I, I definitely commend you for, for setting up those, those chess pieces in the right way that, uh, you've really, it's really starting to pay off now. So, well, I am, I am touched and honored. Thank you. A, and, and a woo to you, sir. Well, woos galore, man. Woo squared everywhere, baby. Woo. Woo. So talk about that though. Uh, so much of the politics, like, like, it, but it we was politics. About, uh, That's the thing, Robert. It, yeah. it was politics. As, as yes. there's yeah. no nice way to say it. It really was politics. And and sure, I, I think that that yeah. I mean, I'm I'm happy to say it. It absolutely is politicking. But it's not. I I don't think anything that we've done as a group over the last four or five years has been. I would consider it cronyism, right? Because you're not. The big thing I would have to say that's different than than your typical cronyism is, you know, like, hey, I'm going to move you up with me because, you know, I know you're a yes man and, you know, you're going to do whatever I say and blah, blah, blah. It's been a small group of people that show up all the time, number one, that actually give a crap, number two, and have the same vision of what masonry is. And it just so happened to be the same one that I had. So, mm-hmm. you know, that was a very good combination to have that. There's no nice way to say it. That strategic plan that, that outlives the guy before me and the guy after me, because we've kind of put the lodge on this road and this is, we've decided this is the way that we're going to operate in masonry land here in this lodge. And it's going to outlive me. I don't know if it'll outlive me in 10 years, but it'll definitely outlive me next year and the year after, because we all want the same thing. You know, and it's, it's great to have that, you know, bo- on both sides, the people that came before you and the people that came after you, because the guys that came before me, guess what? They're still showing up and they're still contributing and they have not stopped coming to things. You know what I mean? Because they were like, Hey, I helped build this and this is amazing and I'm going to keep doing it. But we've got guys who were past masters four or five years ago and they're still showing up every week, you know, because it was their baby and it was our baby and we helped build it together. So, yeah, I mean, that's, but that's the only way to do it. And it sounds like such a dirty, gross word, but you have to politic with those around you. But so in, in politics, that's, that's the key, right? Like when we talked about uh, how to, how to uh, win friends and influence people, right? When people read that book, they think, what are you human hacking? This sounds terrible. Like you're just going to go out there and tell people this, that, and the other, and to get them on your side. No. I actually care. Right. I actually give a crap. Yeah, that was. And we- uh, I'm going to normalize it. Yeah. I'm going to care. And then they're going to care. And then they're going to bring their ideas, which is awesome. And we're going to implement the crap out of it. Right. I mean, that's, that's what can, it's about. Can we just talk for a second about the transformational power of empathy? Oh. <gasps> I mean, the fact that you as a leader truly care about your organization, about the people in it, that is, in my estimation, the single most impactful way to affect organizational change. Yeah. 
uh, I love it. Just and, care. And I'm, I'm replaying all these long-term strategic successes in my head. And, and you're right, Jason. Like, they all come back to empathy. Uh, the one, the, the first one that came to mind was chartering, you know, uh, the Patriot Lodge. First lodge chartered in over 30 years. And it was right next door to an existing lodge. And so everyone's like, what do you mean you're trying to be an academic lodge? What You're going to steal membership from you know, the, your, your neighboring lodge, like, and so there had to be a long game of empathy to listen, to respond, to meet in the middle, to collaborate. Otherwise that, that lodge would have never gotten off the ground. It would have never gotten the approval of the district. And and that's, and to that point, a little bit more backstory of, of the chartering of the Patriot Lodge. We didn't have to ask permission but we went around to every lodge in the district that we would be inserted into, and we made sure that there was a voice vote taken at every lodge in the district to make sure that they were comfortable with the founding of a new lodge in their district. Didn't have to do it. And if the, if the vote was negative, we probably, you know, we could have done it anyway, but at least we were there to show we cared. We were, were trying to be model masons as a new lodge in the district and it, it again it's paid off so i think that's a that's an totally empathy man i love that empathy there's this idea like uh there's a lot of lodges that kind of start up and they're like oh we're going to be these to lodges we're going to do this that and the other and it's awesome right and in the states where you cannot be a to lodge you know maybe you have kind of like an observant style lodge or whatever and uh it requires some finesse and some politicking to get those things rolling and to do them. But what's really interesting is the lodges that I have seen form around this way in not just Illinois, but in surrounding areas have had some run in with grand lodges. And I'll tell you why, because we're so caught up with being kind of like pompous education that we disregard like the other things that beige masonry is is really enthused about so like what does it cost to throw a couple hundred dollars from your awesome huge treasury that you have because we're a to lodge or whatever and we've got thousands of dollars because our members pay tons of dues what's it cost to throw 200 dollars to a grand lodge charity is that politics yeah it is yeah. And it also ensures that the Grand Lodge says, I don't mind those guys. Right? Yeah. What's that Family Guy episode? They're like, oh, that's that hard teacher. He's a jerk. And they're like, that teacher donates his whole paycheck to charity. Da, da, right? Da. <laughs> it's just, it's part of the, it's like a game and it's not. Yeah. Right? It's genuine caring. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so I think this is really up to the, the last, you know, the final question of the night, which is, um, is, is politicking or politics within the fraternity a necessary evil in order to, to grow and sustain, you know, the, the goals of your lodge, your appendant body and beyond. Joe, what do you think? Uh, I, I thank you for letting me go before RJ. You know, that makes my night every time you do that. Woo. So thank you. I would say, woo. Um, I would say, unfortunately, yes, it is necessary. As long as we have this beautiful allegorical system of degrees that are meant to impart these really amazing lessons about life and truth, but they're wrapped within a rent paying charity giving social construct that we understand Freemasonry to be, there's going to be the, the required aspect of, of politics in it. And, and it doesn't have to be a bad thing, right? Just like when we were talking about harmony, harmony doesn't mean that everybody agrees. Harmony means that you talk it out on the one level, not the many that Jason talks about and come to a consensus and, and walk away hopefully learning a little bit more than you did before, not just about the situation, but about the people that are around you. Um, 
But I mean, this really all revolves around, you know, the politics and the cronyism and the drama and the issues. It all revolves around forgetting the whole purpose of why you were there in the first place, right? It was to be initiated and it was to have this experience with a whole bunch of other people that you will eventually call brother that you genuinely and truly love. And if all the stuff I'm saying sounds weird to you, then maybe you need to do it over again, you mm -hmm. know, because that's the purpose and that's the goal. Um, and yeah, I mean, that's a good place to drop the mic. So love y'all stay out of politics and woo. <laughs> and woo. All right, Jason, what's the role of politicking in Freemasonry? Um, ultimately, when you look at trying to pivot the fraternity or move the organization forward, it's best to do so with buy-in. Otherwise, you know, Masonic leadership and, and the turnover you have will make it difficult, if not impossible, to um, sustain any sort of uh, evolution or, or, you know, transition, uh, whatever you're trying to do. And so in a lot of ways, you know, politicking and obtaining buy-in of the brethren around you, your constituents in your lodge, uh, if you're the master, constituents of the Grand Lodge membership, if you're in the Grand Line. Um, you know, it, I think politicking and obtaining buy-in share a lot of the same ta tactics, but obtaining buy-in is has the inclusion of empathy to the point where you have an idea of what you want to do, but you truly want to do what's best for the brethren. And you're truly interested in hearing their feedback and, and their response. And so I think politicking with empathy is absolutely critical to ensuring the continuation of the organization politicking without empathy or even with malicious intent is cancerous that will eat away the organization. Mic drop. Number two. Awesome. Thanks, Jason. I love it. How about you, Robert? I think politics in the organization is necessary only because within any sort of thing that has a governing body, uh, it becomes a, I mean, it's not like we set out to politic. It's that we set out to write the course and to do so hopefully in benevolent ways, which tends to bring together people of a common purpose. If you want to throw a political term, look at like a, you know, a, a political action group or a committee to come together on a, like a caucus to come together on a common purpose. And we do that. And necessarily we have then uh, created the anti-heroes or the, uh, the the antithesis to to what whatever whatever we're trying to do and then there become sides and this is the basis of uh you know these kind of political divides somebody in the chat wrote that politics is greek for people and place or something along those lines that's precisely correct if we think about it in that way politics will be a part of everything that happens i mean politics happen in your home when you and your wife or your significant other are attempting to discover what you would like for dinner i mean uh, especially if you have kids you got now you got the pizza party and you got you know uh, we want italian beefs from portillo's or, or whatever the case is now i'm hungry again but the, the point being it's a necessary thing that happens within a fraternity our guided we should be guided by our tenants the things that we espouse to be and if we're guided by those things hopefully those politics that take place happen in a way 
that is uh, always resulting in peaceful transfers of power and always resulting in uh, the common good. Um, and, and as Jason pointed out, nowhere in politics do we see empathy employed perhaps more than it should be than in Freemasonry. Freemasonry essentially teaches us maybe one of the biggest lessons of all is essentially empathy. Uh, intrinsic empathy for all of your brothers and to the public. Uh, so it's going to be an, it's, I don't consider it a necessary evil. I consider it uh, a necessary element, but uh, I don't know. You want to quote Uncle Ben, right? With, with great power comes great responsibility. Uh, nice. Yeah. I, I don't know. I had to give Nick Johnson his Marvel moment or whatever. So uh, <laughs> I missed there this. you go. Love it. Awesome. Thanks, Robert. Yeah. At the end of the day, know your code, right? So know how to get things done. Um, because there are going to be times where you're going to have to call a special conclave. There are going to be times where you're going to have to um, know how to navigate the, the messy middle that comes with change. And so, yeah, I'm going to double down on everything uh, you know, Jason and Robert have said on empathy, uh, but realize that um, do benevolent politicking, right? So understand that you're not going to get everything you ask for, right? You're not going to get everything um, that your your side wants, and so the best way to yeah, the best way to do it is not to rule by edict, but rule by love. So with that, thank you all very much for watching. Thank you, Church of More Life. Good night. Wow.